Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Drugs. There's no problem that a little Coke and Pop Rocks can't solve. Let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by A Case of a Knife to the Brain by Jessica Wong. Pick up Jessica Wong's new murder mystery thriller on Amazon. Welcome everybody to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is The Pestle where we like to break down, pick apart films, movies, and whatnots. And I, I try to do a new intro every show. I, we had a lag there for like, I don't know, six months <laughs> due to backing issues. <laughs> there's There's something about a Brit talking about you know, pot yeah. that makes me happy. <laughs> I kind and of get Coke. to the point. Like I forget after that first one, I kind of forget what I write for these and Most I just, they're kind of new. Yeah. So I'm just like, yeah, what, what's he going to say next? I'm always like that. So it's, it's always, that's, <laughs> are you, whenever you hear it, are you always like, Oh yeah, that's right. I did write that. That's yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Sometimes it depends mm-hmm. on the one that I'm, uh, this one I was like, Oh yeah. Cocaine and pop rocks. I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're the same thing. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's drugs. <laughs> so this is the pestle. We like to, I don't know, we're filmmakers and we've been doing this for a while in terms of not just criticizing films and talking about them. Yeah. But I don't know, just working in video production for ages now. And so it kind of comes second nature to walk out of a movie and have an interesting discussion about what we just saw. And it's interesting because for me, I half the time forget what I saw the moment I exit the theater. Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I usually tend to write a bunch of notes like for the show specifically, but I'll write a bunch of notes and then, uh, like, Oh yeah, I, I remember that moment now. And I remember that moment and they all tie together in this way. Um, whereas I feel like people like you and Dave, uh, Jasmine, um, and Ryan, I feel like y'all all walk out and you're just automatically picking out all these random moments throughout the, the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> I, well, I'm a, I'm a much, I'm like a, very visual mm. person. Like I can't, I was, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, actually. I can't remember anything I read. Really? It, it was, it's always been a problem growing up, going to school, like studying. It was, it was really difficult for me to like retain anything. But if you show me like pictures or movies or whatever, I'll never forget it. Like, mm. yeah, I, I remember movies from when I was seven, eight, like, yeah, like mm-hmm. in detail. Yeah. And I'm sure to a point you are too, but mm-hmm. like, I don't know, do you, are you like when you read something, do you retain it pretty well? Uh, ish. I do have a issue with like comprehending what I'm reading. And so, Oh, if I remember like it, a brain issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like, if depending on what I'm reading, like if it's too long of a sentence, oh yeah, I get you. Yeah, I have to kind of memorize it, and yeah, right. God help me if there's like a weird word in there <laughs> that I don't really know, because <laughs> then I have to look up the definition and then make the sentence longer by inserting the definition, not the original word, because that's useless oh, now. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like I don't need to retain a new word yeah. in there. I'm just gonna re- I'm just gonna recall thirty of them yeah, in sequence, <laughs> for- and then see can I remember? Oh yes, I kind of get what they're going, and then I try to picture it in my head. Of, yeah, that's what they're doing. It's so interesting that you do that because um, actually, I was talking to my wife about this the other day too. My first girlfriend ever, like she went to a school where they made them do that. Really? If they were if they ever read a word they didn't know the meaning. Uh, they had to look it up and like they were kept to honor system. Sure. But they had been doing it since first grade, second grade, whenever you learn to read and, and the teachers would call them out on words that they knew they didn't know. And so they had to know the, the meanings of them. So, and they were brought up like that and she was brilliant. Like that's really she's, cool. She's a literal rocket scientist now. So oh, shit. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, I'm certainly not in that category, but uh, the thing I relate to though is my biological father when I would visit him and I was thinking about this days ago, literally that one time he, he asked me, uh, Hey, can you figure out what quarter means? And it's not the money, but you, in this context, I take no quarter. I give no quarter. Um, 
And he's like, look it up. He, he didn't even give me a chance to respond. I was like, sounds like it means mercy. And he's like, look it up. Is mercy correct? Look it up. <laughs> and he just wouldn't tell me. And at the time, I thought you're being a dick. Uh, but now looking back, I'm like, he gave me an actual very valuable skill of go look up a word. Even if you think you know what it means, sometimes it's better to just go research it and check it. And I still do that to this day frequently. Whenever I hear a word and I'm trying to use a word in a sentence, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is what that means. I'll do a quick Google search, define idiot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> My picture. That's, the, that's pretty awesome, man. Thanks, man. Well, uh, let's get back on topic here. So this week we're going to be uh, covering Bohemian Rhapsody the new film that just uh, was just released a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't seen it, which many of you might not have yet, uh, definitely pause this uh, episode and go watch it because um, we're going to be talking about a lot of details in it and we don't want to spoil anything. We hate spoilers, even knowing if someone likes a film or not. Mm-hmm. And I, it's very hard for me to not. Like if I ask, <laughs> if I ask Wes if he's seen a movie and he says no, I, it's it's like I hold my breath. I don't like. What do I say now? Because anything I say is going to tip him off of whether or not I like it because he knows me so well. Yeah. So if I say, "I, Mister Burns," <laughs> he's going to know I like it. <laughs> or if I say, uh, "It's an amazing movie. You cannot miss this," he knows I hated it. So um, anyway. Go see Bohemian Rhapsody and then come back and and take a listen. That's perfect. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, Obviously, we'll discuss music and the score. And apropos of the conversation a moment ago, I'm going off the grid today and I'm using Internet research instead of my own notes. Walking out of this, I just felt like I didn't really have that much I wanted to touch on and even worse. I left my notes in the theater, <laughs> so I kind of got pigeonholed. Ah, <laughs> um, nice. And so this will be mildly interesting, um, and we'll also discuss other such stuff and things and stuff. <laughs> I still worked it in. <laughs> All right, so a quick synopsis of the film. It's a chronicle of years leading up to Queen's legendary appearance at the Live Aid 1985 concert. It's directed by Brian Singer, screenplay by Anthony McCartan. It's starring Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, Lucy Boynton as Mary Austin, Gwillem Lee as Brian May, Ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, Joseph Mazzello as John Deacon, Aidan Gillen as John Reed, and Alan Leach as Paul. My God, so many people. (sighs) Galileo! Galileo Picaro! How was that? Higher. Can you go a bit higher? If I go any higher, only dogs will hear me. Try. Higher. Jesus, how many more Galileos do you want? Very, very one more, one more. Galileo! One more. Galileo! 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 transition into the song that's pretty sweet yeah oh and it's interesting having our headphones on and listening to all those voices kind of hitting you at the same time yeah that's pretty freaking cool so what did you think (laughs) i'm gonna get straight into it right away because (laughs) you haven't since we saw it you have been very like like sphincter tight so so spill it I thought it was just okay. Yeah. Like I, I certainly enjoyed it. I had some issues with it. The cool thing for me, I guess, was I didn't know anything about Freddie Mercury going in. Like I knew nothing. The only thing I kind of knew, I hadn't even like fact checked it, was that he was gay. And the only reason I knew that is because someone, I want to say it was Bill Maher, landed this right hook on some conservative or whatever that was basically saying, you know, the the and I might be completely misquoting all of this, but the idea was it's ironic that you have a stadium full of, you know, conservatives chanting and clapping uh, to the song written by, you know, a a gay homosexual man that uh, they would 
instinctively oppose. <laughs> and that stuck with me because I was like, damn, that's good. And he was singing about fat bottom girls. <laughs> that's I remember that quote. Also good. <laughs> yeah. A gay man singing about fat bottom girls <laughs> right. with conservatives cheering for a gay man singing about fat bottom yeah, girls. That's like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's really great. So I knew that and... What else did I actually know about Freddie Mercury? I certainly didn't know that he was Pakistani or yeah. that he's uh, he was married. And I guess the only other thing I knew was that he I, I listened. I found a long time ago. I found this track. I want to say I sent it to you. There was this acapella and backstory of just him and David Bowie singing under pressure. And it and it was I want to say it was even just. No, I think it was both of their tracks together, acapella. And it was the most incredible thing I've ever heard. Wow. Because I want to say it was even like a one-take kind of thing. And Man, he's hitting some that. notes in there that blows your hair back that you can't even hear when the music's on top. Oh, wow. It was, I'll, I'll link that and a bunch of other stuff in the, in the show notes. But, okay. yeah, so, I mean, I enjoyed it. There's, and I'll get into some of my issues in a little bit, but... Uh, which kind of have some of them have a resolution after doing some research. But Mm -hmm. I, if the only thing I got out of this movie was just getting to see Rami Malek embody the soul of Freddie Mercury, then good God Mm -hmm. worth it. Yeah. I highly freaking recommend everyone to go watch this because that performance it better at minimum get a nomination. Uh, that was incredible. And that still kind of irritates me because I'm kind of tired of biopics getting such heavy award favor. Uh, but that performance, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it. it's supported by by amazing music is the one thing I'll say. Because I, I, I agree that he is, you know, you have to actually, not just physically, but emotionally and, and well, and physically, completely transform into... I mean, the, one of the greatest rock singers, if not the greatest rock singer of all time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like you can just, it's different. So you have, you have these biopics like uh, man of the moon, right? Mm-hmm. But Jim Carrey transforming into, yeah. Yep. That is one level, right? I would argue that's a better movie than this movie, but that's one level this transformation is a totally different level to me because like you can kind of play that part, you know, in that, in, in man, of the moon, you can't just play this part. You have to foot like, yeah, you have to walk like him. You have to think like him. You have to, I mean, he had to, you know, have a good British accent, you know? And there's two completely different personas that he wears throughout the movie, right? There's a stage persona. Yes. There's private life. And then there's his other private lives with his family, with his wife. I mean, he's got all these personas that he's having to dance around. Mm -hmm. And And he does that so well. Like the the, the scene with um, his, I guess, girlfriend at the time, or maybe they just got engaged. I can't remember. Um, But they... They're sitting at the table and he kind of does this thing that I do when I go home. You just kind of regress a little bit and you get to be, you kind of become a kid again because you, you let your guard, you can let your guard down because you're in a safe environment. And he, you, you know, even though his, his dad isn't the most supportive, like you, he, you can just see he kind of like is able to embody a different part of him, like a more of a kid vibe part in that scene. And then you have the, you know, the later scenes of him in the rain, uh, it just, there's so many different facets of a human being he has to play mm-hmm. that, that it's, it's just really incredible to watch. And, and I definitely think all the, just how well he did it and how well he pulled it off. Like, yeah, he definitely deserves a nod for sure. I mean, yeah. um, I, I mean, I did see him. It wasn't like he disappeared. Okay. I saw Rami. It wasn't like he disappeared to me, but there were definitely moments, especially on stage, where he did. Is that also because you're familiar with Freddie yes. Mercury? See, me not. Yeah. I was pretty easily able to... Yeah, okay, that's good. ...to disappear into it, for okay. sure. that's good. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen I clips think most of people don't know much. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like certainly my circle of uh, friends, like, are all feels intimately acquainted with Freddie Mercury. And I'm like, wow, like I know nothing. I, I don't really even know Queens catalog. Mm. I mean, 
any individual song I could sing along to for sure. But if you would have told me all those songs were Queen, I would have been like, oh, that's right. And I had that sitting throughout the movie. I was like, oh, they did this too. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And whereas you could have told me one of those was Journey or Foreigner and I'd have been like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, or ABBA. Like, I really yeah, I have sure. no idea. These are all just sure. single word band names from but, 70s, 80s. But all the main songs that they came up with, you had heard those, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that just all the lyrics. Was that just candy? God. Just like, like, guys, stop arguing. <laughs> Boom, 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 like hairs on my arms just rising up. Like I, it just, there were so many moments I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's the first time, the first couple notes you hear, you're like, I know that song. Oh, they're going to write this song right now. Oh, is this what was it like? Boom. Oh, yeah. Oh, whoa. Hey. Dude. I know this. That's right. Yes. We're getting because after that first album drops in the movie, I'm like, yeah, but what do they do after this? Yeah. And then it's like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, they had one more in them. That's right. Oh, they had another one. They had in another them. one in them, and another, and another. Yes, and a sister and a brother. It was just going on and on and on. I was like, damn. So what? Let me ask you a question, and I don't know if you'll have an answer or not, but because I felt the same way. I went into it so excited and I wanted it to be the best mm-hmm. music movie I'd ever seen. And when I walked out, I felt like I got everything that I wanted to get, right? So I got an amazing performance by an amazing actor, good supporting roles, a well-written script. I got to see the formation of all of their like massive hits. Mm-hmm. I got to see the entirety of their live aid performance, like the whole fucking thing. Yeah. I want to say they maybe only trimmed out a few minutes. Yeah, Right. They it, tightened up a set here and a set there, but all the songs were there. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty much there. All, That's like amazing. His, all his famous moves and everything, they were all there. And yet the more that I digested it, the more I was thinking there was just something not, I don't know about, I don't know the words. It's not that it wasn't right. It, Cause it was right. It was just, what do you think it was? So for me, one of the things that really bothered me, and we've had this conversation about a previous movie that dealt with rock stars on tour and on stage. Mm. I won't go into detail of that. You'll just have to listen to our whole backlog. But the problem I had with this was that it was a PG 13 movie. That was a really big sticky yeah, point for me. Agreed. Because that's a, that's a good point. This doesn't feel like, even though their music is family friendly, uh, I think by and large, and it's so popular and it certainly has infiltrated every arena, you know, literally and figuratively, that you can't escape it. But his story and a band of that magnitude doesn't feel like it should be PG-13. It feels like it should be rated R, especially when you start diving into uh, the things that he was dealing with. Mm -hmm. I think that deserved so much more edge than it delivered. Now, that said, I will say reading an article, and I'm just going to spice in these research notes throughout, throughout our conversation. I did read a note from the DP and... I will link all the stuff in the, in the show notes. So go check it out. If you want to read all these articles and videos and stuff, he said that the idea of the movie was that this was a celebration of queen rather than a descent into the dark side, uh, of what Freddie, you know, dealt with. And I'm like, okay, that really does make sense. And I can appreciate that on, you know, a really good level. But for me, that still holds it back for what I want out of a movie, especially one dealing with such really rich in, terrifying content like drugs and uh struggling with your sexuality in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s like there was just in dealing with aids like all of that i i feel like deserved a much more honest spotlight on it than i think than it felt like it got it felt very glossy like we kind of gloss over these things um so that was one of my issues another one of the issue was it it felt a little rushed I think this deserved to be like a two hour, 45 minute movie instead of like a two hour movie so that we could get a little bit more depth out of our characters. Cause some of these guys just pop onto the scene all of a sudden. I'm like, I'm supposed to know who Paul is. Like I need a little bit more out of Paul, uh, to appreciate why I love or hate him. And I, same thing out of the band. Like we don't get any depth out of the band. They're just kind of peripheral figures. And the only, 
And we're telling all this story through Freddie Mercury's lens. I get that. But I think he had a deeper relationship with his bandmates than what we got to see on screen. And so the only depth we ever get out of it is between him and his wife, uh, Mary Austin, which is great. But it just felt a little weird. I want more ebb and flow out of a film. And uh, it was mostly flow. And then we ebb at, I don't know, it must have been a 10 minute scene between him and his wife uh, having the talk about their marriage and his sexuality mm-hmm. and I mean, that's great. We needed that. But it just it felt odd and a little out of place having this longer scene whenever we haven't had this much depth throughout the rest of the film. So I felt like most of the movie was a little underwritten just so that we can get to the stage, just so that we yeah. can get to the high moments. Well, I need more of the other stuff to appreciate those moments. Agreed. I I, I just want to say this out loud. I totally agree with that. The moments that hit me the hardest were these little moments that I wanted more out of. So him sitting down and just coming up with the the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody and realizing what he's writing about, not even knowing what it was about, mm-hmm. but he's just saying these words and he realizes it and he start, you could see it in his face. Like that moment is so powerful. That To me, that's the most powerful moment in the entire movie. Yeah. Because his first love music and is is revealing something is helping him reveal something about himself in a moment yeah. that he knew, but he's saying it out loud for the first time. It's the first time we hear that. And then the second biggest moment is when he comes out to his wife, um, to me, but like, yeah, they feel kind of passing. They feel like, it's not like I want to stay in that moment with them. Right. I don't, they, it, they did it long enough, but there needed to be some, uh, not fallout, but some kind of residual something after that. And it's more about the, the, the thing I was excited about this film was it's, it was more about the making of all of these, these things. So the moments that I remember the most of the movie were the moments like, you know, boom, boom, like uh, another one bites the dust, yeah. one bites the dust or, or, you know, the Galileo, like, all of those moments are the coolest, yeah. you know, the montages of them on stage and on tour. I don't care about that much. Yeah. Um, I know that ha- you have to show that. And that's, that's awesome. The show at the end is incredible and I'm glad they showed it, but yeah. It, and I totally agree. It should be R. It should have been made into an R. If for no other reason than the language, like, yeah, fine, make it a soft R, but I want, <laughs> I don't think they talk like this. I just, yeah, I don't buy it. No, I, yeah. So I, there, those are some of the main things I really struggled with, but the other thing, and I thought this is really interesting. So they shot this on an Alexa, most of it, like they shot at the front end an Alexa SXT, uh, which is like a 4K camera, basically. And then the second half, they shot on an Alexa 65. Well, they did that, and they used different lenses for each one to kind of show the progression of their career. Things get nicer and prettier as their career progresses, and they get bigger. And so at the beginning, everything's kind of gritty and grainy and kind of harder on the eyes. And then you get to the end, and it looks like, you know... It doesn't it no longer it doesn't look like a period piece anymore. It looks like a modern day. We're yeah. watching this, you know, happen last week. And I have pluses and minuses about yeah. that personally. Like whenever I'm dealing with a period piece and to help that transition, they actually intercut like some thirty five millimeter film with beta cam. Like they kind of break out all the stops here. And I think it's interesting. One, I always love showing appreciation for visual progression that mocks the story progression that's happening in the characters' lives. Like, that's a really important part of filmmaking to me, is finding visual ways to convey to the audience, uh, even if only subtly, that something is happening here. And in this case, whenever it's such a stark change, it should be a stark visual change as well. So by the time you get to the end, everything's beautiful and super clear and pristine. And so on the one hand... It takes for me. I'm looking that like at that like oh, I don't know if that if that makes sense from a period piece standpoint and from trying to convey the era that this is in. It kind of stole away because that that final all the stuff on stage was great unless we were looking at the audience and then you could really feel the green screen kind of kicking in. Mm-hmm. The 
other stuff. And that's just a hard thing to like because you're dealing with this hard stage spotlights uh, that's giving them so much edge, edge lighting that's breaking them out from the from the audience. And so blending that has to be a bloody headache. But the thing that I think kind of works for it, on the other hand, is that it's also kind of appropriate because I think Freddie Mercury as and to some extent Queen, I think he is still relevant. He's still a contemporary of all the artists out there today. And so I think it still makes sense to put him in this visual quality of what you can see from everybody else out there right now. And so on some level, it still, it makes sense to have such a, you know, to shoot it in 4k or in 6k and these incredibly crisp, clear new 65 millimeter lenses. Like that makes sense to some extent. And so I can make the argument for that personally in my head, but I think I still would have preferred just a hair more. I don't know. For me, you almost never go wrong shooting on film. Like I think I would have preferred seeing, and you can still make it really clear. Even if you want to shoot it on 65 millimeter film, I think that makes more sense. You're going to add just an analog texture to it. That's going to bring a little bit more authenticity and life to it. I mean, it was 1985. They were still shooting on film. Yeah. They could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, that's just a lot of film. If you have to have, you know, 10 cameras floating around, but yeah, it's no, a major budget films. So. I can't remember how many cameras they shot on, particularly the, uh, the final stage show at live aids. And so I, yeah, I think that's interesting. Also think it's pretty cool. I read this article with the editor, John Ottman, who was also the composer. And there's these few tidbits in there that I thought was really, really cool. For one, you I've never heard of an editor who is also a composer. Like that's completely brand new. And reading from the article, he was saying that he kind of got roped into it because of Brian Singer who made The Usual Suspects, I believe. I might be misquoting that. But he was like, hey, Brian, I really want to score this. He's like, you can only score it if you edit it too. (laughs) He's like, fine. (laughs) And so he became a composer at that point, and he just kind of got locked into double duty. What do you mean composing? Uh, What do you compose? the, uh, The soundtrack or the score to The Usual Suspects. And from that point on, every time Brian Singer has him on his projects, which is every project, he has to do double duty as a composer and as a film editor. Yeah, but I mean, what did you compose in this film? And this one is where the conversation gets really interesting because he ended up pulling back and removing his composer credit because he was like, I don't want to score it. I just want to use the music to tell the story. And where you would normally insert a score he found clever ways to score it without scoring it. And by that, I mean, there's this scene. He uses like ambient background music. For instance, the uh, the scene where he's on that long phone call with Mary. I think it's the one where he's eyeballing a trucker and she's mm-hmm. trying to remind yeah. him like, I miss you and I love you. And he's over here, you know, feeling other things. Well, in the background, he's playing opera. And it's like something that, you know, Freddie would be listening to. But it's also you know, very on the nose in terms of this is an operatic moment, um, of a man who's, who's in love with someone, but is feeling something else about someone else. And that's so opera, but he doesn't score opera. He just inserts an opera track into the background of the scene so that whenever you're there with Freddie, you're hearing it. But when you're cutting back to her, uh, Mary on the other end of the line, it disappears. And so it's like this beautiful, super clever way of injecting a, a a score without actually scoring it. Wow. That's awesome. That's really freaking cool. I was like, who, what, what, what score? What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, because you're right. Um, and there's another thing he said, that scene we played earlier with the, uh, can you go a bit higher? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try. <laughs> there's this great quote and I'll just read this directly from the article, which again, I'll link in the show notes. And this is what John Ottman says. That sequence when the band is putting together a bow rap in a studio uh, in a studio barn out in the country was exciting for me, but also a nightmare because it was 60% improv by the actors. 
the Semprov in the dailies made little narrative or structural sense. And a side note, if you don't know what a daily is, that's what you call it whenever you finish shooting for a day and the next day you want to look at what you shot yesterday. They call those dailies. You're just kind of reviewing yesterday's footage. And so to continue. So my task was to take all that banter and arrange it into a script in the editing room. I could have easily dismissed some of the improv moments and cut them out, but I was determined to preserve them. I also used the passage of time and a couple of ADR band-aids to get away with it. And ADR means uh, additional dialogue replacement. That's like you're shooting outside on a really rainy day and you're not going to capture any clean audio of your characters talking. So when you get to post and editing, you want to use this scene. You say, okay, we're going to do some ADR. We're going to bring those actors in. We're going to loop it. And they also call it looping. You just loop the the dialogue over and over and over again until they finally match it exactly right okay continuing again (laughs) that was one of my babies and i was so worried he's talking about this scene as one of his babies that he was really proud of doing all this freaking work that was one of my babies and i was so worried it would be a target because it was long god forbid you have a scene that lasts more than two minutes so it was one of the scenes that remained unscathed from the studio shotguns through the year End quote. And it was interesting because he throughout the article refers to these shotgun sessions where you're basically sending the film to the executives or you're doing a screening uh, for notes. And sometimes if there's nothing to cut, people find something to cut anyways. This is what I usually refer to as tinkering. Um, and it drives me absolutely crazy. If you don't have an actual note, just shut the fuck up. Like there's no reason to inject something for the sake of saying you had a thumbprint on the film. Like, let it be. (laughs) Let good be good. And if there's something to improve, say, yeah, we should improve this in this way specifically. Well, they just need to justify their paycheck. That's what they're doing. And that's what drives me crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, but I love that. I love I had I never would have guessed that scene was improv like the majority of it and to and i totally get what he's saying there trying to work through a scene and create cohesion out of something that was shot incohesively is a nightmare but it's also wildly fun because you find these moments and you start building around these moments i really like this character when he says this or i really like the look on this guy's face and you kind of for me this is the way i handle it i insert it into my timeline and then I start building around that. What works, what plays into that, what plays out of that. Oh, nice. And then before you know, you just have this, you know, scene that's playing wonderfully. And it's like, oh, I just fabricated <laughs> something yeah. that feels written. Yeah. You watch it again. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I just built that. That's pretty cool. Because I get really excited about my audio edits. I really enjoy editing audio, actually. And I find ways to stitch pieces of audio together and i say specifically audio not dialogue because i also like to cross-contaminate musical tracks like there's things i've done in the past that are taking multiple scores and music tracks and i'm blending them together in ways that you know i don't think anybody would anticipate uh, because of just how wildly different they are and so that's really satisfying to stitch them together and seamless seamlessly so like sometimes you have to dither or crossfade in really specific ways man that's so satisfying yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i think awesome yeah that i think that's an article really worth reading if you are remotely interested um and they it's not him there's another sound design guy because he talks about the live aid concert where they blend in they set up a website to get people singing the song. Do you know about this? No, but I could tell in the movie. Right? Yeah. It, and it, I mean, it sounds I amazing. I mentioned it to you after the movie. You remember? totally yeah. did. Yes, you did. And I'll see if I can find the clip. I couldn't find the pure clip. I found someone who kind of stole a bunch of clips and put them all together for their own YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to support that. Nope. So I want to see if I can find the actual clip. But it's of the sound designer. Um, I, I want to say maybe he's even the assistant editor, assistant sound designer, that they set up a website just to get all these people singing like Bohemian Rhapsody so that they could. And he plays one of the tracks and you're like, OK, and then he starts layering it and layering it. And it's just like that clip we played a minute ago where you're hearing, you know, a hundred of these voices. But when you lay them all together on top of each other, 
it begins to form this very lightly cohesive thread that even if ne- not everybody's exactly on time, you still get the general timing of it and it becomes kind of this singular voice. It's an amazing thing to do. Yeah. And I know you've done similar things like this for your own projects and mm-hmm. uh, for clients. Yeah. And I, I haven't had the pleasure of doing something like that yet. You know, uh, that's it's it's fun and it's a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, if you get hundreds, you're like, oh, shit, because <laughs> they each have their own track and just got you got to do it. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lot of fun when you kind of like when you see the finished product and it all is cohesive. And that's that scene that we talked about. It's it's brilliant because if you watch the actual performance of them at Live Aid, uh, let me let me step back for a second. Live Aid was the biggest concert ever in the history of mankind. Like a billion people watched it all around the all around the world, um, and it, it was just the biggest thing. Queen was the biggest thing at the biggest concert of man, mankind's ever seen. I'm still having a, a tough time wrapping yeah. my head around that specific part. That queen was the unexpected headliner. Yeah, I guess because there was such a late addition according to the film. Yeah. But in a, a lineup that includes like Madonna and you too, you too. And God knows who else. Yeah. Michael Jackson, probably like probably I can't, it, there's no way in the world I would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, Queen's going to be the one to watch. Yeah. How, how does that, I guess my question to you is, how did they, how does it come to arrive so, at Queen freaking did it? Well, okay, there's a few, there's a few things that make, because everybody is, like a lot of people say that it's the best performance ever in the history of wow. music, right? I would tend to agree, but but one of the reasons is, well, there's a lot of reasons. One in particular is that it wasn't perfect. Hmm. Right. So any any performance that you see, the more perfect it is, the less human it is. Yeah. Right. But there's some something about someone on the biggest stage you can imagine messing up and doing it with style. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just just, you know, ramming it down your throat. I'm going to miss this note and you're going to love it. There's something about that that it makes them, it makes those gods up there a little bit more human. And so you can relate to them a little bit more, just a little bit more. Right. But then around those little bitty mistakes, they're, they're perfect. You know, they're amazing. They're like untouchable. Right. And, and then also with the fact that it was basically their last performance, it might've been their last performance actually, um, before Freddie dies, at least as queen, it, it was their last performance. And so, and, and the fact that they were a late edition, like all of this perfect storm and they were, they hadn't played in years, all these perfect storm things came together. Oh, and the fact that he had lost his voice a week before. That's true. Oh, that's, my God. that is a true thing. Like this whole, the whole week before they were really worried. He was really worried that he wouldn't be able to pull it off because he had lost his voice. That's true. So wow. all of these things just kind of like coalesce into this, this just perfect, amazing, amazing moment. And, and then to play all of those songs, those particular songs just made it that much more amazing and their time slot. So it's, you know, it's, it's day and then it, the sun goes down during their slot. So like there's everything kind of, and it was only 20 minutes long, 21 minutes long, you know? So they got in, they didn't play for three hours. They got in, played for 20 minutes, got off, that's it. Yeah, peace. I was also surprised at the song lineup that they used. I, yeah, right? Right? It wasn't like... Radio Gaga was not going to be the first one that came to mind. Right. Right. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. throwing his fist in the air. Yeah. And then everybody in the crowd throwing their fists in the air. Yeah. Radio Gaga. Like, it was just... Yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was... It reminded me a lot of of uh, Nirvana's Unplugged, hmm. where you would... They didn't play any hits. None of their music, like a little bit of their music, but none of their big hits, like No Smells Like Teen Spirit, like none of that stuff. They played all covers. Wow. Yeah, right? And so you're thinking, wait, what is happening right now? And yet it's one of the one of the best-selling records of all time. Like it's it's one of the best records of all time. Anyway, that and so after I've taken my step back, my multiple <laughs> steps back, he messes up. He misses notes 
in at least two, if not three, pretty big ones. If you watch the actual performance and what do they do? They, and I'm glad they did this because in a movie it's different. Like in a, in a, in a biopic, it's a little bit different. You're not in the moment watching this thing, like a part of this huge movement, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in a theater, it's totally, it's, it's very different. They cover it up with mostly, not all of it. Like you can still hear it. If you know where he messes up, I was listening for it. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to miss his note. Ooh, I didn't really hear it that much because they covered up with the crowd singing the songs. Wow. And the crowd sings the songs, but not in those moments and not that loud. And so like if you actually watch the actual performance. So I felt like they did a an awesome homage to him in that, in those moments. Oh, hold on. there's I'm, I'm not quite clear on one thing. Wh- what do you mean you were waiting to hear if they, if he missed a note? Were they playing the actual Queen? Yeah, track from Live yes. Aid. Yes. Whoa. Yes, dude. That's the actual track, dude. One hundred percent. Oh my god. Yeah, and normally, you know, if I know someone's not singing, oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it drives me up the damn wall. <laughs> uh, like I can't handle it. Uh, I didn't care. I did not care at all. Because they're knew, letting Freddie sing it. Yes. Like, it would have been worse to let Rami Malek try to do anything. You know, this is, we're talking about one of the best performances of all time. You yeah. cannot ask an actor or any other musician alive to do that, you yeah. know? Uh, it would have been... It would have been, you know, uh, degrading to his memory to, to do that. And so they play the actual track behind you know on top of him and and he performs it and you can hear you know a b the two you'll hear it um and just watch where he messes up and go watch the movie and in those moments you'll you'll hear a little bit but you'll hear the crowd like going on like singing on top of it so they drown it out it's just it's so well done man i i really loved that ending and the fact that they just let it play man it had to be a good 14 15 minutes yeah i mean they they definitely creep or maybe 12. pretty close to 20 yeah. yeah yeah god that's insanity yeah so cool i had no idea um yeah. the only other thing that i think i pulled out of my research was this is kind of a here nor there <laughs> notice, actually. But I thought it was interesting that Brian Singer actually left the last couple of weeks to be with his sick mother and was replaced by another director, uh, Dexter Fletcher. And I was like, wow, that's really crazy. But I heard different. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that in one second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But regardless, they ended up shooting Live Aid first. Like that was the first yeah. thing they ended up shooting, which man, I know <laughs> coming out of the gates like that. Hey guys, I know y'all just met like five minutes ago, but yeah. I need y'all to completely gel <laughs> and play your ass off. We're not yeah. going to let you warm up for the next eight weeks playing these other, you know, venues. No, here you go. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard that, th- that that's not CG. Those that's, that stadium is full of people. I, that I don't know. I couldn't find anything that specifically said to me it looks... Rami said... I found an interview where he said it was real. Okay. To me, it does but not I, look it doesn't real. mean anything to me because he yeah. could be blowing smoke up, up everybody's ass. Yeah. I mean, whenever I'm... When I was watching the film, I was like, oh, I don't know if they built the... They built a stage. That I completely yeah. believe. I not just stadium, had sorry. a hard time... Uh, believing that they've built the stadium and filled it with people. It to me does not look real, but maybe it is. I, I mean, how can you fathom? Yeah. You know, like anytime you see, you know, 20,000 people, <laughs> right. you can't say, Oh yeah, that's 20,000 people. Right. Like immediately you say that's CG. I mean, I would, I can't imagine that many people. What I heard was that, and I, I misspoke to you earlier. I heard that that Rami Malek said that they built the stage, they built everything, you know, for the the show. They put out a call. They're making this Queen movie come to Wembley, and they filled Wembley with people. Oh, uh, okay. That, and that was the first shot they did. That I mean, from this interview that I that saw, he he did an interview on BBC uh, some. British radio station mm. or whatever that I watched. Interesting. I'll yeah. do a light amount of Googling from here. I'm, I'll try to find it. And send yeah. It to you. Um, and so one of us will make 
a very light effort to insert in the show notes if uh, what Todd is saying is wrong, because that sounds amazing. That yeah, sounds very, very possible. Yeah. Um, but I also know they recreated the stage somewhere else. I can't remember where it was uh, um, to do some some other staging stuff. I don't know. Fact or fiction? You be the judge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard Brian Singer. From what I heard, there was beef between him and Rami. Oh. Yeah. Um, and so at one point he left. That sucks. Yeah. And so the, it was on pause. And so the studio had to find somebody else. Oh, darling. Yeah. And, but then he eventually came back to finish. And so what, what's the other Dexter Fletcher? Yeah. And so Dexter just, okay. He like backed off. It's like, so he did some directing. Of some stuff, but yeah. he just. You but know, the gave reason it back. The, uh, the reason was a more some beef. Than that. Some beef. <laughs> there, there was the beef. Dang. I, I don't know. That's you know. That's just what I heard. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Just work working on a set, working on a film. That's high stress. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone's there to create, and everyone is bringing a vision. And as a director, it cannot be easy trying to harangue every, all these personalities and uh, get them together and on the same page and still allow that creative freedom to, you know, be Freddie Mercury and to uh, allow that energy to kind of possess you and, and, and to capture it. That was the interesting thing, reading so much from the DP and listening to his interviews was he said that his approach changed as they would shoot. So he'd go in with an idea, I'm going to shoot on this lens um, at this angle, and then just watching Rami do his thing. He was like, you know what? Actually, I probably need to do this a little bit differently to capture it, you know, the way he's portraying it. Uh, he didn't give any real detail, so that's as good as I that, can give. No, dude, that's awesome. But that's really cool, right? Because, you know, there there's also something about, you know, there's something to be said about and like actors feeling comfortable mm-hmm. on set, like because there's some directors where they basically feel like actors are in the way. Yeah. You know, Hitchcock in, was very much like, yeah. you're going to do this, you're going to stand here, you're going to do exactly. They're just puppets. Yeah, and if you're doing a trying to do, do a transformation role like Freddie Mercury, you have to feel like everyone in the room is there to support you to do yeah. your very best, right? And so. You know, if you're not getting along with the director or the DP or, you know, you don't or if you do have a DP that supports you and, and is trying to capture what you're putting out and you feel that as an actor, then all of a sudden that frees you up to, to you know, give a better performance, I feel like. And there's not um, uh, it, it, I think it's hard to pull something out of yourself when you're surrounded by a, a dozen, two dozen people. And you might feel like, oh, you already feel pressure to do a good job. No matter if it's like a a small commercial or if it's Bohemian Rhapsody. Like you feel like I want to do my best work. And um, uh, so so like knowing that you have a DP like that who's going to find your best whenever you whenever you're able to give it like that's that had to be pretty freeing for him. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, that's really cool. And I completely agree. Yeah. Awesome. Um, any other thoughts? Uh, man, you know, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the R rating issue. I think that that's definitely what it is. I mean, you know, I don't go into a movie saying it's not R. I'm probably not going to like it. There's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of PG 13 PG Mm. movies. Yeah. I'm going, dude, I'm going to see Wreck-It Ralph too with my kids on Thanksgiving and I am so excited. (laughs) I can't even tell you. Uh, and that's G think. I think maybe PG, I don't know. But, you know, a movie like this, like you said, this is one of the biggest rock bands of all time. They did a lot of drugs, a lot of women and men, uh, a a lot of booze. You cannot tell me they didn't curse a lot. You cannot tell me they didn't, you know, it's not like I want to see the debauchery, but I want to see like honest this because that's the real weight that he's dealing with yeah and if you definitely. never show the weight that he, that's on top of him then how yeah. can we really appreciate his fall right and exactly exactly and and it's not to me this is not a celebration of queen yeah. this is a story of freddie mercury yeah. 
you can say it's a celebration of Queen all you want because Freddie didn't do well without his band. And if that's the reason why it's a celebration of Queen, okay. But like you said, they did not develop the other the other bandmates very much. We are with Freddie the entire time. This is a story of Freddie Mercury, but it's kind of acting like a story of Queen. And I think that that was probably where Brian May and the rest of the bandmates had too much input in this, mm-hmm. I feel, because they had to approve everything. Oh, wow. Yeah, they approved the, the script. I mean, that's why it took so long. They, they've been working on the script for a long time. Like, wow. Maybe a decade longer. Yeah, a very long time. And, I mean, even, even when they cast Rami, he had to go. So Rami did, a, he did like a, some recording to let the band hear him sing. Because he does sing at at points in the film, and like like the first time we ever hear Freddie sing, which is all awesome. that's one hundred percent Rami, and you can Jeez. tell, yeah. and it's like holy shit, this guy this guy <laughs> can sing. Um, but so they had to hear him sing, so he recorded something, sent it to the band, and then he goes to England to Abbey Road to meet with them, and they hadn't watched the performance yet, so he's going there and he has to sit in the room with Brian May and the, and the rest of the band while they watch him sing for the first time. Oh. He's like, I have never been so stressed out in my life. <laughs> but my point is, is that they had to approve him. They mm-hmm. had to approve everything. It had to go through the band. So of course it's going to be kind of disjointed a little bit and focus more on the band at some points and, and, not in others, but always on Freddie. Yeah. Nobody's there to see the rest of the band that, you know, like if we are, then we want to stay with them the whole time. Yeah. And we kind of are because if the bass player did write, you know, uh, uh, another one bites the dust. Well, where, what, what's this guy all got to offer in other respect? Like what other things can I know about him that led him to, you know, come up with that. I loved the, the, we are the champions. Stop, stop, clap. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel like they kind of focused on Brian a little bit more, but not, not enough for me. So yeah, I guess that would just be my other thing that to add, it's a little bit more disjointed because I I think the band had a little too much input. They should have just let, you know, whoever's going to write it, write it unabashedly and honestly, and R-rated. Agreed. You know? Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to beat that into the ground. I, I still, man, really enjoyed it. And there were yeah. at, at least five or six moments where I had goosebumps. I mean, for me, that first moment you just talked about was one of the best. Because I I think anybody when who's done... Sang? Yeah. yeah okay. I think anyone who's ever done art um, in any capacity probably has had these people who try to impress you and they just walk up and like hey yeah man i make i make movies i make videos or yeah i can sing or dude i can whatever paint i don't know and you're just like okay cool you know thanks for coming out (laughs) just go away now yeah oh yeah and so his all his demeanor was that shy like insecure i don't really know and especially the way he opens up with I follow you guys everywhere. I love you guys. You're, you're amazing. And he's fawning over them um, before he just breaks it out. And then they're like, oh, you're not one of these other, you know, idiots that's trying to impress us. You actually got the goods. Yeah. And just kind of seeing that whole framework set up and develop, it was just perfect. It was awesome. One, I mean, one thing I didn't know about him was the, the incisors, his four extra incisors. Yeah, me either. That, I mean, the reason he had that overbite yeah. and that gave him more range. That's pretty cool. That's dope. <laughs> That's so cool. That, that, that is like such a wonderful story of like, you know, someone looking completely not normal and it turning, you know, like, like because of that, he's the greatest at this thing. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. What a great story, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it just goes to show you, you don't always need to fix everything, quote yeah. unquote, fix everything. You know, mm-hmm. he got made fun of, called Bucky his whole life. And 
nobody's calling him. Nobody was calling him Bucky later in life. I mean, the guy, you know, just own it. Own those incisors, bro. So cool. I love that. That's awesome. That was a good thing to learn. Uh, man, I mean, this has been fun. I would, I would probably give it, what would I give it? I'd probably give it a seven. Just a first thought, seven and a half, maybe. On it. Yeah, walking right out of the out of the movie, seven and a half to eight. But now that I've had to digest it, I put seven. I'd say seven. Same. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, because I was I always go back to my five star system. Like, yeah, it's definitely not a four for me. But it's not a three, three and a half times two, seven. There you go. Yeah. Should we go to a five star? I don't. I mean, that's easier for me. But I, I'm fine with the the ten point system <laughs> huh this is interesting okay i'm gonna have to chew on that for a All while right. <laughs> so what are you recommending this week uh, i'm gonna recommend another music movie that i haven't recommended and i'm really surprised that i haven't yet because we've done others and but i've i'm looking and i don't see it can i guess please do the doors no. Ah, okay. No, man. I remember that movie when I was in. When I've I, never even seen it. I, I, like, I saw it in high school, and my, I mean, Val Kilmer's great in it. Is he? Get, yeah, he's. I've great always in heard it. that. Yeah. But man, I just can't. It's too like druggy for me. I can't. I can't do those druggy movies. You know, like multiple times. Yeah. Man. It's just like, man, I got to get out of that world. No, I'm gonna recommend once. Oh, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, I, I know. I look through like, did I recommend this? I had to have, but no, I haven't. It's definitely my favorite music movie. It, it's it's all, you know, performed by them. Like, I think 90 percent, you know, in camera. Um, but sometimes sometimes like when they're recording in the studio, that's not. I really wish you'd check out Sing Street because it's the same director. I need to. I know. And it also stars Lucy Boynton. Oh, who was in this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I awesome. think I've already recommended it though, so I can't recommend that. Yeah, but yeah, I think you might like it, but you might also hate it. I think. Wait, I think I did see it. With mm-hmm. the kids? Yeah, no, no, no kids. I mean, there are. It's British kids in like the eighties. We'll talk about it off the air. Right. I think I've seen it. Uh, maybe okay. Well, yeah, we'll talk in a second. Okay. Um, and so I'm going to recommend a movie called Towelhead. This is a dark indie film from like Racist. the mid 2000s, and it is very much about a uh, Arabic. I'm pretty sure she's Arabic uh, teenager who's grappling with you know her sexuality as a teenager going through puberty, and also as an Arab in America, she's dealing with. I think I haven't seen it since it came out, but I think she's dealing with like post nine eleven stuff in America because mm-hmm. it takes place in Houston, uh, Texas, and so it's very raw, very real. But the reason I'm recommending it is because the DP who shot Bohemian Rhapsody also shot Towhead, okay, and cool. just going through his filmography, I was like, oh wow, I can't believe he made that. Yeah, that's something I haven't seen in forever. So yeah, Towhead, and of course we'll put trailers to both of these uh the doors and towhead <laughs> not the doors <laughs> sorry once good, it's a good yeah it's a good uh guess but no. awesome badass so stay tuned next week we are actually going to do drive another um, kind of music movie is not not, not real performance music not performance music but what's kind of cool about drive is that same DP who shot Bohemian Rhapsody and Towhead also shot Drive. He did? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know Talk that. Talk about range. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, that's why you wanted to yeah. do that. Oh, I was man. Like, oh, that's really cool. When um, you made that suggestion, I said, yes, let's do Drive. <laughs> I was so excited. Okay, cool. And so don't forget to drop us a review and a note. If you want to dive into and make a comment and say why we got it all wrong, politely, you can do so at the thepestlepodcast.com slash slash Bohemian Rhapsody. That's also where you'll find a bunch of links to interviews and probably just mostly interviews <laughs> of people who worked on the film. Yeah. Awesome. So we'll leave you with a, a quote of the day uh, that Wes found called it's this one's by Freddie Mercury. When I'm dead, I want to be remembered as a musician of some worth and substance. How like understated. Yeah. Is that not, I want to be remembered as a great musician or as a musician. You're just like, I just, someone who did something who like left a mark. Like that's hard. It is. That's a big ask. That's a big ask. Just that little thing. 
but it's it's very humble i feel like yeah that's what really surprised me and i completely agree with everything you just yeah. said like to be want to be known for something rather than as something i guess oh, um, yeah you know that's yeah that's much more profound and it shows that he's operating on more than just a pop star level he's mm-hmm. like you know what no i am someone and it runs deeper than any kind of single thing about me so there's a fine line between arrogance and confidence right yeah and someone like freddie was arrogant but did we always see it as that sometimes maybe but never on stage never i mean he was it was just all you could see was confidence even though he was definitely arrogant to some degree but even even in the state in the moments off to, off stage when he was arrogant i didn't really see that i saw confidence yeah. it was like there's just something you don't want to see arrogance in your in the in your idols that you look up to yeah, you know? that's true like no he's not arrogant he just knows he's good <laughs> that and that's a good thing that's 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 awesome but yeah so so reading this was that like you said a little bit surprising but wonderful surprise don't worry freddie you were a musician of much worth and substance absolutely definitely. agreed yeah uh yeah so thanks for joining us guys uh again Make sure to join us next week when we review Drive. Uh, So go watch that ahead of time so that you don't have to pause it during because we will give away spoilers, as we say all the time. Uh, And leave us a review and uh, uh, subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Movies.